Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into theology of the body. And what an, what an honor and privilege it has been to be able to journey with you for so long now with this great study of theology of the body. And I'm really excited this evening because I do have uh, my two sidekicks with me here, Chris Seibert and Derek Allen, both in studio. So, uh, Chris, great to have you with me this evening. Thanks for having me back, Joe. It's good to be here. And of course, Derek, once again, great to have you with me. I'm really glad to be here. So guys, theology of the body, what is it? You know, this evening, we are going to more or less kind of react and respond to the last two books that we have gone through. We just completed Fill These Hearts. Um, you guys were with me for at least a few weeks in the work of the love that satisfies. So maybe for our listening audience, I thought we can simplify, you know, what it means to talk about theology of the body, at least initially for sure. You know, we have a lot of ologies out there, guys. You know, uh, archaeology is the study of what? Ancient things, right? The study of antiquities. We often tie that to dinosaurs. We have a sociology, which is the study of what? Social structures. We have a lot of ologies. So what is theology of the body? Well, it's the study of God applied to our bodies. But here's the snag. If you were to go to any university today and you study anthropology, essentially, it's about studying the body autonomous from the soul. So theology of the body is the study of God as it is applied to a man, body, and soul. Really, you can't get anywhere in any study of theology of the body without first understanding that, that any good anthropology is just not the body, but the body and the soul. We were created in the image and likeness of God, and as such, we are to see who we are in light of God and the soul that He has endowed us with. So, very important when you start talking about this phrase, theology of the body. Theology of the body, as it has come to us in the first five years of John Paul II's pontificate, was really uh, the finished work of his uh, philosophical uh, book, Love and Responsibility. And... John Paul II doesn't just start with the early church fathers. No, he starts with Christ, and specifically Christ's own reflections on the first three chapters of Genesis. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, it was not so. Mm -hmm. And what is that beginning that Christ is referring to? Genesis 1 through 3. Yeah, yeah. St. Augustine once said, if we studied the first three chapters of Genesis, we would be well on our way and better understanding who we are as Christians and Catholics. No true words could be said as it relates to better understanding sacred Scripture than starting with, well, what does the word Genesis mean? In the beginning. So you start with the beginning. And uh, theology of the body, in the end, is a series of reflections that come out of that study in the beginning. And all of these early Genesis connecting points are kind of echoes in our, in our modern day understandings as well. So we have our, we know what original innocence is. We mm. know, you know, what we were originally made to be in those moments where we truly open ourselves up to what is it that God wants for me? Yeah. So those origins, and I think Pope John Paul II 
did such a beautiful job of connecting us back to our origins, uh, yeah. original innocence, original man. Yeah, and it's highlighted in the Catechism that when we are redeemed in Christ, Christ is restoring us back to uh, the origins of our purity. He's restoring us back to the origins of our purity. In that sense, we become uh, what Benedict XVI liked to call the new man. We are new insofar as we are new in Christ. And so for John Paul II, that word redemption was very important. Yes, of course it's important when you start studying the Paschal Mystery, but it has a very specific application to any study of theology of the body, because in His blood, in His pure blood, we are redeemed and made new, made pure, made whole. You know, guys, we, we have not spent a lot of time on the Eucharist. We have spent some weeks on the Eucharist, but I tell you what, we probably could have spoken more to it. And the one truth that may have been lost on us that we didn't spend enough time with is that truth that says, yes, we consume Christ in the Eucharist, but it is not just us consuming Christ in the Eucharist in as much as it is Christ consuming us in the Eucharist, you see. I go there because what's going on? Christ's very life-giving pure blood is literally streaming through our veins. So if, as Christ says, if we are to uh, see God, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, we need to allow Christ's purity to literally invade our souls, that it might consume us and we might in turn see as we ought to see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, and what does that imagery sound like? The idea of we consuming Christ, Christ consuming us, but the marital embrace. Mm. Two mm. bodies becoming one flesh. And Amen. what it is when we receive Christ in the Eucharist, we become one with him. Amen. And Jesus is very explicit. He's making a gift of his body to us, yeah. a gift of his body, which is reflected in our marital union. We are making ourselves a gift of ourselves, of our bodies, mm -hmm. not just something separate, but our, our bodies and our souls, like we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. become as one mm -hmm. through that gift. Yeah, and the total gift of our bodies in that marital embrace alongside of the total gift of ourselves in how we offer ourselves to our spouses, huh? They are, we can say, mutually illuminating. The more we give of ourselves and how we sacrifice in each and every moment is going to only make that conjugal embrace that much richer, that much stronger, and that much more joyful. Which, that's why we as Christians believe that our faith does not just end and begin on Sundays. Mm. You, our faith continues throughout the week. When when we go to church on Sundays, it's that opportunity for us to be refreshed with Christ. But that shouldn't just stop there. That should carry out into our week at work, at school, at sports practice, whatever it is that we're doing. That Sunday should roll over and carry through the, the rest of the entire week and, mm -hmm. and the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. God saves us in family, in community. And that's something that, for me, is always um, enlightens my perspective on theology of the body, that God is family. God mm. is community. And when we enter into that, we are reflecting God. We are, we are as close as we can get to God when we are family, when we are community, mm -hmm. because that's who He is. 
And we long for that. You know, Jackie and I, my wife and I, over the last 10 years, we would have our what we call family hugs. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the last 10 years, I've noticed how they are now asking for the quote-unquote family hug. It was just a week and a half ago where the three oldest kids came over when we were hugging. They said, family hug, family hug. And our one-year-old came over, and she wanted to be um, in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. you know. And she did not want us to, to let go of her. She started saying in her one-year-old voice, family hug, family hug. Mm-hmm. We are wired for family. And of course, I, I have to joke around, we are Trinity, right? When we're all embracing yeah, oh, right, that. Yeah, right. We are A wired. Trinity of, of six, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we are wired for family. Huh? We are wired to be with one another. And you guys, when we turn ourselves over to God in that self-gift, that embrace, again, is all the more enriching. And it's so enlightening for me to think back to being a, a five-year-old, you know, and looking. I'm, I'm, I'm the last of eight kids, so I was always yearning for my family to be there. Are they going to be home? Are they going to stay? I'd always look to see, are the shoes mm. coming off? If the shoes come off, I feel like, all right, yeah, everybody's yeah, going to yeah. be there. <laughs> and that's what I was wired for. Mm-hmm. God made me to yearn to be a part of that family and that community. That's right. And, you know, in Fill These Hearts, Christopher West opens up with his whole first section about what? Longing, right? <laughs> longing, this universal longing, this, this ache, this burning, this, this desire. There's a great story he has that comes to us from, I believe it's uh, Bruce Springsteen. I'm going to go ahead and read this because it really ties into what we've been talking about here. And this is Christopher West. The music of Bruce Springsteen and U2 takes up a large section in the soundtrack of my life. So it was a special treat for me when Springsteen inducted U2 in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2005. That night, the boss put his finger on what I first felt lying in bed almost 30 years earlier. And this is the boss here, huh? Mm -hmm. A great rock band, he said, searches for the same kind of combustible force that fueled the expansion of the universe after the Big Bang. They want the earth to shake and spit fire. They want the sky to split apart and for God to pour out. Then he paused and said a bit sheepishly, It's embarrassing to want so much and expect so much from music, except sometimes it happens. Huh? What is he saying there? But sometimes we hear a certain song, a certain piece of music, and something awakens within us. Huh? Something bursts forth. We have talked in the past, guys, that uh, music is the language of the soul. There's no wonder why, you know, over 300 times in sacred scripture, we hear the phrase to sing or the word song, right? Why? Because mere speech cannot even begin to capture what we encounter when we encounter God, huh? So this is why in, say, I'm thinking Psalm uh, 57, huh? Awake, O harp, I will awake the dawn. It's this bursting forth. And I speak to this because when we are made to see who we are in light of just not body, but body and soul, we begin to yearn for something more. No longer are we content with the workaday week that is all about making Monday up to Friday to be satisfied on Saturday and Sunday to only go back to it on Monday, right? That just doesn't work. We are left empty. And if Christopher West captured anything in the work, the love that satisfies is, well, 
God's love that pours into our hearts is a love that satisfies, and there's nothing here on earth that can quench that thirst. Exactly right. Nothing here on earth is going to quench that thirst, and we'll look. We will search throughout the the entire surface of the earth as a Mm. society, as people in sin. We will look for the love that satisfies in all of the wrong places. Mm-hmm. We will look for it, sure, in, in things that we know are bad for us and, and sin. We will look for it in things that aren't inherently evil. Our jobs, our favorite sports team, our, you know, name this or that, where we will look for that love that satisfies only to be feeling left empty, mm-hmm. only to be dissatisfied. And I think for me personally, like, theology of the body in a way really points to the universality of God. Mm. That in all of our desires, it's a foreshadow for our desire for God. You know, I think Christopher West would have an answer for this. What, how are sexuality and music the same? Well, they're both a search for transcendence. Yeah, absolutely. I for mean, sure. that's what that's right what on. Bruce Springsteen was talking about. Absolutely, <laughs> you know? definitely. That combustible force. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's talking about the origins of the universe right yeah. there. Yeah. You know, that creative power that comes from God. That, yeah. Yeah, we're trying to tap into that. We're looking for it any place we can find it because we know deep in our souls that's what we're made for but where does the transcendence lead us that's mm-hmm. the question is mm-hmm. it leading us to an integration mm-hmm. of body and soul or is it dividing us well and it's like christ with the woman at the well mm. the the people who drink of this well will thirst again but the people who drink the water i give will never thirst again again because it is the water of everlasting life mm-hmm. and when we seek god in our love, we find that water of everlasting life. Mm-hmm. And we seek, when we seek God through the things of this world, we're finding that water that does not satisfy, that water that we will have to go back for again. What does John Paul II say? That emotions, feelings, that sexual urge, that sense appetite, that only constitutes what, one of my favorite phrases, the raw material yeah. for the more authentic love to develop. Yep. You have the raw material for the more authentic love to develop. They are necessary, but they point to something greater. It's finished form agape, or we can say furnished form agape, that sacrificial love. And again, that's the love that satisfies. And the thing of it is, guys, we can talk about it. Use the word, Chris, integration. If we don't internalize this in prayer, if we don't integrate it, what good is it? I mean, I can sit at uh, the dinner table with Colby and read to him how to ride a bike. But until he goes outside and attempts to ride a bike, will he learn how to ride a bike? Me reading to him how to ride a bike will not, in the end, teach him how best to ride a bike. He needs to do it. John Paul II, in all of his Wednesday audiences, as he would open and close with prayer, he would make a point to talk about the need to integrate as we are talking about it now. The need to pray that the words of theology of the body might sink deeper into our souls and that they might be palpable, that as we encounter one another, we might be thinking about how we are called to go deeper in light of theology of the body. There's a a great image that uh, was shared with me somewhere along the line about theology of the body. If you're in a church at night and you see those stained glass windows that are so beautiful during the day, they look actually very dark and kind of spooky. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my eighth graders yeah. would say, oh, that, that's, that's kind of, um, what is the word they always use? Uh, sketch? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
kind of spooky because why? Those stained glass windows are not stained glass windows without the light that illuminates them, mm-hmm. just as our bodies are lifeless, spooky, mm-hmm. <laughs> macabre, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say, yeah, yeah. without the light of our souls because that soul and body together only function as a unit. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. the, light of, uh, the light of Christ is what animates our bodies and makes us who we are. Our conversation, it's reminding me of a story I've heard a long time ago. It's the story about a tree, and this tree is, of course, like most trees growing up in a forest, and one of its neighboring trees is, is cut down, and the lumber from that tree is used to make a, an animal food trough that eventually is, is used as a makeshift crib for this young baby. And the tree's thinking to itself, oh man, if only I could have been that crib for the baby, mm. how great would I have been? And, you know, years go by, and, and the other tree next to it is also cut down and, and fashioned into this boat, this great majestic fishing boat that um, this great wonderful orator gives these wonderful talks to people from. And um, this order even ends up calming the sea from the deck of this boat. And the tree again is thinking to itself, oh man. If only I had been fashioned into that boat. And then it's, you know, it's finally, it's the tree's turn for the axe and it's chopped up and the lumber from the tree is used for a simple wooden cross. Mm. And the disappointment that that tree feels in its destiny and its, and its way is a cross. And mm. eventually it's given to a man to carry up a hill and that man is nailed to the cross. But that man was Christ and how important of a role that tree had. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was missing that illumination. It was missing its purpose in God's plan to see its importance. Mm. Well, guys, does this not bring us to the topic of loving our spouses for all of their uniqueness, for all of their individuality, for all of the unrepeatable things they bring to the table? There's only one Roberta. There's only one Kira. There's only one Jackie. And God has given them to us as gifts who have unrepeatable stories that are called to help us draw deeper into the mystery of God's own love. And the only way we can do that, that is to say, be drawn into the infinite mystery of God's love, is to love the uniqueness of His creation, His daughter. This is what is so astounding about married life, that we have been given a gift, these crown jewels of all of creation, so as to love and to love them for everything that they are in light of God, and that in that love we might come to discover God's love for us. Amen. Well, and I know that I was single more recently than the two of you, but not just our spouses, our family, our friends, um, even the people that we don't like, the people that we don't necessarily get along with, even those people in their own unique way, Drive us to greater holiness. Mm. Drive us to grow closer to God. You know, Joe's family uh, has always been that for me. The whole Kraft clan. Um, you talk about a place where I feel the sense of the unrepeatable. It's it's with your family. <laughs> There's such uniqueness, you know? And it reminds me of my own in a lot of ways. Sure. And it's I think that's part of what is so life-giving, is that I see this um, unrepeatable, this uniqueness, this different expression, all, all unique and... Uh, beautiful expressions of their designer. You know, mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. had great things in mind when mm-hmm. he designed each individual member of your family, and that just comes out so strongly when you're all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the mm-hmm. reasons why I love being around mm-hmm. the whole Craft clan. 
Well, by the grace of God, go all of us. <laughs> we are quite a clan when we get together, let me tell you. <laughs> I think we would say that about any of our families, let's be honest. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, and praise be Jesus Christ for who God calls us to be. You know, our uh, secular culture today, guys, puts such an emphasis on being an individual. But what has happened? Everyone is so caught up in being the quote-unquote their own person and being an individual, that now suddenly all those people who are being individuals now look the same, act the same. And suddenly, what sets us apart, right? What sets us apart? Well, and to relate this a little bit to some of the things that Pope Francis has been saying, hasn't mm. that led to the greater commodification of people? Mm. You're not unique. You're just another Joe Schmo. Yeah. Let me turn you into a commodity that I can use for my own benefit. Yeah. Joe, when you invited me to this program and you were saying, hey, we're going to kind of look back on uh, the whole package of theology of the body, well, guess what came to my mind immediately? My most favorite, that's kind of repetitive, my favorite quote by St. John Paul II, things are made to be used, people are made to be loved, and I apologize for if, you re- if I'm repeating, oh, but no. we get it backwards yeah. in our society. Yeah. Uh, we love things and yeah. use people. The only way we can live by theology of the body is if we get that, first and foremost, correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to talk about Pope Francis is to really nail one of his key phrases. You, you use the phrase, the commodification of things, mm-hmm. um, the culture of waste. Oh, yeah. The culture of waste. And he's just not talking about how we waste food, how we just dispose of clothes and all of those things. Does he want us to pay close attention to that? Yeah, but he's also talking about what you're talking about, Chris. People. The human person, the human being. Huh? And in most of his addresses, he makes a point to talk about that. He's going to be heading to Africa tomorrow, guys, and you can be rest assured over that very intense visit, he is going to be talking about the very thing we are talking about, because really he talks about it wherever he goes. Well, and, and what does that waste of people look like? It, it looks like abortion. It looks like euthanasia. It looks like all of those things that are plaguing our society, because we're not seeing those people as the beautiful creations that they are. Mm. We're not seeing those people through the theology of their bodies. We see them as a hassle. We see them as just something that needs to be thrown away um, and, and not dealt with. When really, like Chris had alluded to earlier, we have backwards. Yeah. We should yeah. love those people. Yeah, at all stages, um, that's the only proper response. And that's a challenge to us. I mean, even as I say that, I know I've got to convert myself on that topic every day. Yeah. I mean, we were reflecting uh, just the other day in Pope Francis's work, Joy of the Gospel. And in paragraph 194, he has a direct challenge to all dynamic Orthodox Catholics. And that is, you can be obedient to the magisterium. But if you lack love, if you don't have a heart for the corporal works of mercy, then what kind of sign are you really? It's just not in God, it's in God for other. You know, as you were talking, Derek, I could not help but think, as we were talking about the throwaway culture, one can also say the culture that gets in the way of what we want to do. Oh, yeah. You know, we're just so busy doing that we don't open ourselves up and see how God wants us to encounter Him in those who He is bringing to us. We shove them to the side. Why? Because we're too busy. I mean, how many 
moments in our day, today, yesterday, did we miss God because we were quote-unquote too busy? It's a challenge that we all have to look squarely in the mirror on and say, okay, Lord, I failed here, I failed there, and I know I need to be more present to how you are calling me to see. And how does this relate to theology of the body? Again, guys, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Remember the Greek for purity, hagnos. It literally translates something that is not mixed, right? So it speaks to the heart that has not been soiled with lust, the heart that has not been mixed with that concupiscent sense appetite that is constantly wanting more. No, you see, the pure of heart that sees God is a heart that is singularly focused on God, that is not caught up in all the side glances that sin tends to glance at. You are locked into God and God alone. And I'm reminded of something that Mother Teresa said to uh, one of her sisters. You know, we have to have the proper worship, the proper prayer, so that we can do the works of mercy. That mm-hmm. There's the integration again. Yep. You yep. know, it, the, the two go together. You can't say, oh, I'm just going to be doing works of mercy or social justice without having the, the formational worship and prayer. And she says, one of her sisters came to her and said, Mother, I have so much to do today. Um... I'm only going to be in adoration uh, for 30 minutes instead of the whole hour, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to excuse myself. Mm -hmm. And she said, no, sister, because you have so much to do today, you're going to stay for two hours today. And it sounds paradoxical, but it is, uh, in the the light of faith, it it makes perfect sense. Well, you cannot give what you do not have. Yeah. I've had the pleasure of hearing Father Thomas Loya talk about theology of the body on numerous occasions, and... He was actually in Rome while St. John Paul II was giving these addresses and was able to hear some of them. And the thing that he always mentions is that really looking at theology of the body is like taking our Christian spectacles and placing them over our eyes and looking at the world, looking at each other through the eyes of God. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the saints, Mother Teresa, and all of the saints of the church have figured out how to do. And I think that that's really our challenge from theology of the body is to look at ourselves, our neighbors, and one another through the eyes of God, not the eyes of society. Mm, amen. And I'm looking up at the clock, guys. We um, have quickly run out of time. I don't know if we have any other thoughts to share. You know, something that I've been able to share with uh, my eighth graders again is if we want to know the meaning of life, think about this. Take your iPhone out of your pocket, look at it, and say, if you wanted to know as much as you possibly could about that iPhone, where would you go? You yeah. would go straight to the guy who designed the phone. Yeah. And that's exactly what you need to do. If you want to know the meaning of life, go to your designer. Because mm-hmm. you can go in many different directions and get all kinds of you know, self-help talks, philosophies, and whatnot. But if you really want to know, go straight to the source. Go to the designer. Amen to that, Chris. And how do we do that? By reading sacred scripture. Your theology of the body, again, is rooted in sacred scripture. The gospel. Yeah, amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mother Mary, we turn to you, who is the queen of theology of the body, and we ask for your intercession as we intercede on behalf of all those uh, Christians and Catholics who might be studying theology of the body, all those who might be struggling with the sin of lust, with pornography, then indeed, through your mediation, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, they might come to know you intimately. Amen. Amen. 
the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.